Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Well, welcome. Thank you for visiting us. If you're a visitor, thank you for coming. It's so great to have you. We really are glad that you've decided to spend some of your day with us. It's amazing. Thank you for coming. We just pray that you see something of Jesus today. Um, I really have a, a strong conviction that for too long Christians and churches and religion have put on masks and, and put over a wrong image of what God is like. And so today we just want to be real. We don't want to have any masks. I want to tell you that there's nothing special about me at all. Um, if I told you my life story, you'd probably think I was a bit of a, a skellum, as they say, back home where I come from. Not, not a very nice person. And that's just where I come from. That's who I am. I've tried to be preaching for quite a few years now. And a lot of the time I failed as a preacher. I remember once I was going around to lots of different Presbyterian churches and, and being a guest speaker in all their different services. And the one time in the Presbyterian church, you stand at the door at the back of the church and everyone files out and shakes hands with you and thanks you for what a wonderful sermon it was. And this one old lady who was too old to pretend anymore just said, thanks for whatever it was you were trying to say and walked out the door. <laughs> and it brought me down a few notches. Another, another classic failure of mine was on a New Year's Eve service. We were going to be seeing in the new year at, at midnight and I got all the church together and at midnight I said, right, close your eyes and bow your heads and for the next 10 minutes we're going to pray and think about what God wants for us for this coming year. And just about everyone fell asleep in the room. Even my leaders, my main guys, they were all just after a few minutes. It was a, a terrible failure. Can you imagine the great man of God trying to wake up the crowd at midnight saying, Come on, it's New Year. Anyway, praise the Lord. He's kind to us. I read a, a lovely little story by C.S. Lewis in one of his books. Um, it's a chapter called Religious Instruction, and I'm just going to read it to you. It says, When John came into the room, there was an old man with a red round face who was very kind and full of jokes, so that John quite got over his fears, and they had a good talk about fishing tackle and bicycles. But just when the talk was at its best, the steward got up and cleared his throat. He then took down a mask from the wall with a long white beard attached to it and suddenly clapped it on his face so that his appearance was awful. And he said, now I'm going to talk to you about the landlord. The landlord owns all the country and it is very, very kind of him to allow us to live on it all. Very, very kind. He went on repeating very kind in a queer, sing-song voice so long that John would have laughed, but that now he was beginning to feel a bit frightened again. The steward then took down a peg from a peg, a big card with small print all over it, and he said, here's a list of all the things the landlord says you must not do. You better look at it. So John took the card, but half of the rules seemed to forbid things that he'd never heard of, and the other half forbade things he was doing every day and could not imagine not doing. And the number of rules was so enormous that he felt he could never remember them all. I hope, said the steward, that you have not already broken any of the rules. John's heart began to thump and his eyes bulged more and more. And he was at his wit's end when the steward took the mask off and looked at John with his real face and, and said, better tell a lie, old chap, better tell a lie. It's easiest for all concerned. And he popped the mask back on his face in a flash. John gulped and said quickly, oh no, sir, that's just as well, said the steward through the mask, because you know if you did break any of them and the landlord got to know of it, you know what he'd do to you? No, sir, said John. 
and the steward's eyes seemed to be twinkling dreadfully through the holes in the mask. He'd take you and shut you up forever and ever in a black hole full of snakes and scorpions as large as lobsters forever and ever. And besides that, he's such a kind, good man, so very, very kind, that I'm sure you would never want to displease him. No, sir, said John. But please, sir, well, said the steward, please, sir, supposing I did break one, one little one, just by accident, you know, could nothing stop the snakes and the lobsters? Ah, said the steward. And then he sat down and talked for a long time, but John could not understand a single syllable. However, however it all ended with pointing out that the landlord was quite extraordinarily kind and good to his tenants and would certainly torture most of them to death the moment he had the slightest pretext. And you can't blame him, said the steward, for after all, it is his land and it is so very good of him to let us live here at all, people like us, you know. Then the steward took, took off his mask and had a nice sensible chat with John again and gave him cake and brought him out to his father and mother. But just as they were going, he bent down and whispered in John's ear, I shouldn't bother about it all too much if I were you. And at the same time, he slipped the card of the rules into John's hand and told him he could keep it for, its, for his own use. It's tragic to me. <laughs> it's tragic what we as Christians have done to express Jesus to people. It's just a disaster. And so I was thinking about today, and I, I wanted to just talk to you about Jesus the Bible says uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, in the past God has spoken to people in many different ways through prophets, but now he's spoken through his son. And it says in verse 3, the son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. The picture is of years and years of people trying to understand God and getting a vague picture of Him. The Bible says in the Old Testament they saw a shadow or an outline of Him. You know, a shadow is just an outline caused by a lack of light, basically. In the, in the Old Testament people saw something of God, but suddenly the light went from behind God to in front and we saw His full face and the Bible says it's Jesus. In fact, Colossians 1 says He is the image of of the invisible God. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so what I want to do today is nothing complicated. I'm going to try and not put on a mask. I'm going to try and not use weird, long, boring, scary words. I just want to show you what Jesus is like, if that's okay. Just for a few minutes. I want to just tell you a few stories about Jesus, because you may have a picture of God that is not quite right. You may have thought of God in a certain way, and actually Jesus, the Bible says, is the exact representation of God. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. If you're wondering what God is like, the Bible says, look at Jesus, and you will see what God is like. Isn't that amazing that God gave us an object lesson, a real person to look at? So the first thing I want to mention about Jesus is that he healed people. Sometimes we think of God as causing suffering. For, for some reason, there's a large part of the world's population, both religious and non-religious, who want to tell us that God causes suffering, sickness, pain, and harm. And actually, if we look at Jesus, if we have that picture of God, and then we look at Jesus, the two don't match up. There was a time when a, a man with leprosy came to Jesus. He said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus says, it, it says in Matthew 8, verse 3, Jesus put out his hand, touched him, touched the leper, which was 
quite unheard of, said, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I'm going to read you just a few verses. Matthew 8, verse 16 says, um, Many came to him, and he healed all who were sick. Matthew 12, verse 15, Great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Matthew 14, verse 35, um, They brought all who were sick, and as many as has, has touched the edge of his garment were made perfectly well. Luke 4, verse 40, When the sun was setting, those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Luke 6, verse 17, And he came down with him and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from Judea, Jerusalem, Tyre, Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power was going out from him, and he healed them all. Jesus never, ever said no to somebody who asked him for healing. And in fact, sometimes he healed people who didn't even ask for healing. And not only that, he fed people who were hungry. He supplied needs for people who needed it. He encouraged them. He blessed them. He forgave sins. He was a bringer of good and a giver and not a bringer of harm. You think if God was the kind of God who wanted to inflict pain and injustice on us, then Jesus would have at least once said to somebody, no, I won't heal you. But he never once said no. So that's the first picture of Jesus I'd like to give you. The second one is, sometimes we think of God as being sad and grumpy. And there's a story in Matthew 10, sorry, Mark chapter 10, it says, Then they brought the little children to Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. I don't know if you've ever been to a little children's birthday party. I've got three children. And their birthday parties now are them acting cool and kind of pretending to be adult. But when they were little, their birthday parties were just hundreds of kids running around, eating as much cake and sweets as they could. And it was just a, a, a place of mayhem. And I would try and get the kids to come to me and I would try and entertain them. And they were very standoffish because they didn't know me. Who's the strange man? And there was something about Jesus that the kids all wanted to go and climb on his lap. Let me ask you, what kind of a man attracts crowds of children who gleefully want to go and jump on him? He's not a grumpy man. He's not a cross man. He's not a, a frowny-faced man with a horrible mask and a long beard. He's a happy, loving person. Would you agree? I hope you're getting a slightly different picture of God through this image that God gives us of Jesus. The next one is God... Sometimes we think of him as a God with lots of rules. It's all about the rules. Rules, 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 rules. And Jesus again and again bumped up against the religious leaders of his day who accused him of not keeping their rules. The truth of the matter is that they had made a lot more rules than God had ever made. And Jesus was just following God's way and it cut across their rules that they'd made. And so in Matthew 15... The, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And Jesus rebuked them and he ends off by saying, You draw near to me with your mouths and you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. In vain you worship me, you teach 
as the truth the mere commandments of men. Jesus was not about rules. There's a place where he was going through the grain fields on the Sabbath day and his disciples were grabbing handfuls of grain and eating it and the Pharisees came and said, what are you doing? How can you be doing this on the Sabbath day? And Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man and they rejoiced in the Sabbath. He cut against their rules again and again. And at one time Jesus said to them, you keep all the little rules, but you've forgotten the more important matters, justice, mercy, faith love. Jesus was all about real heart righteousness, not about a list of rules. I wonder if the mask might be coming off a little bit off the face that you've seen of God in the past. The other image we have of God is that He's aloof, that He's far away, that He's uninterested, and that He's unapproachable. And yet the Bible says that Jesus became a man. He was tested in every way, just like we are. In fact, Hebrews 4 says, Uh, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses because he was in all points tempted just as we are yet without sin. Jesus came as a poor man. In fact, when he was born, most people thought that his mother had conceived him out of wedlock. And so they thought that he was an illegitimate child. He was born in a stable, not in a fancy hospital. He was born to a poor family in a tiny village. And it was an oppressed people. The Romans were oppressing the Israelites. He came with none of the privileges of life, and he lived a normal life. He had no special advantages. Up until the age of 30, he lived a normal life, worked as a carpenter in a poor family. His dad probably died young, and he did that all to show us that God is not aloof. He's become one of us. He knows who we are. I'd like to just close by giving you a few examples of people who met Jesus because I think this will be helpful to us. There's a story of a man called Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus was a wealthy man, the Bible says, very rich, and he'd become rich by being a tax collector for the Romans. So he would take money from his own Israelite people and give it to the Romans, but keep a large portion for himself. And everyone hated him because he was so well off, but he'd he'd become well off by stealing the food out of their children's mouths. They hated Zacchaeus. And it says in uh, Luke 19 that Jesus was going through this town called Jericho. Zacchaeus was a short man and he couldn't see Jesus, so he climbed up a tree. And in verse 5 of Luke 19, it says, When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down quickly, for today I must come to your house and stay. I love that little phrase. It just jumped out at me when I read the story. It says, when Jesus came to the place. And many people will overlook that phrase and just think it means when he came to the tree. But I believe it means there's a place where God is organized and planned in the control that he has over the universe. There's a place in your life and mine where God will meet with us. And it's our chance to respond to him. And so it says, when Jesus came to the place... The time and the place ordained before the creation of the world when Zacchaeus would have his chance to get his life changed. Jesus looked up into the tree. He didn't have to look up, but he somehow knew there's a little short rich man hiding up this tree. And he looked at Zacchaeus and he didn't look with an accusing eye. He says, I'm coming to your house for some tea and cakes. That's the first story. The second one is there was a widow who lived in a town called Nain. In Luke chapter 7 
and it says uh, her only son, she was a widow, so her husband had died, and her only son had died, and she was going with a funeral uh, procession. A large crowd of people were crying and wailing and walking along, carrying this coffin with her only son dead in it, and she was, she was crying as well. And it says, as this crowd was leaving the town to go and bury the boy, Jesus and a large crowd were coming into the town, and they met at the gates of the city. Can you imagine? It's, it's so kind of poetic. There's this big crowd of people around Jesus, who's the Son of God, full of life. And there's this big crowd of people around the coffin, who's the son of the widow, and, it's, and he's dead. And the two crowds intersect. And I think sometimes church and the world intersect at certain times, and you might be in one of those times. That might be where God meets you, where the church and, and the world, the crowd that you're hanging around with maybe intersect. And what happens? Does Jesus say to his people, stay away from the dead body, keep away from the bad people? No, he doesn't. Jesus walks up and it says he touched the coffin. He wants to get involved in our lives, even our pain. And he says he touched the coffin. Then he looked at the widow and he said, do not weep. An amazing thing to say to a lady who's lost everything. And then he says to the boy, stand up and the boy comes to life and he starts to speak and then at the end of that passage it says Jesus gave the boy back to his mother that lady's life was changed forever because of the place where she met Jesus was a place of life my next story is of a paralytic man he was completely paralyzed and he couldn't get to Jesus and there were crowds around Jesus listening to him and the paralytic man had four friends I just love the, the four friends. They grabbed the guy, they carried him, they couldn't get to Jesus, so they found another way onto the roof of the house, and they dug a hole through the roof of the house. Can you imagine the plaster and the bricks and the wood falling down, and Jesus is sitting in the house teaching, and bits of plaster start falling down, and they lower the man down into Jesus' presence, and Jesus looks at him and he says, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say, who's going to pay for the roof? Your sins are forgiven. And the, the religious leaders around Jesus were incensed. They said, who is this man who forgives sins? And Jesus said, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk, that you may know that I have the authority to forgive sins? Are you getting a picture of someone other than the mask you may have seen? This is an amazing man. And I love the fact that the four friends brought their friend to find Jesus. The next story is of a man called Nicodemus. He was a religious leader, a very clever man, educated like a, a, a top lawyer of our day, and he was very religious. He um, presided in all these kind of religious things. But he came to Jesus in John chapter 3 under cover of night because he was scared that others would see him. And you, you may have, I don't know, maybe switched on the TV late at night to try and find out about Jesus or I don't know how you've done it, but this man came under cover of night. The place for him was a place of secrecy and, oh, I'm scared people are going to see me. He comes to Jesus. He says, I know that you're from God because you're doing miracles. And Jesus says to him, unless a man is born again or born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, you're clever, Nicodemus, and you're doing all the rules, but you'll never really see God until God from above comes and makes you new on the inside. Nicodemus says, how can this be? How can a man be born again? Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh. 
In other words, your physical body gets born, but only the Spirit of God can make your spirit brand new and make you born again on the inside. That was the place of him meeting Jesus. There was a lady at a well, a Samaritan woman who was an outcast. She'd had five husbands. She was now living with another man. She was shunned by the society. And at midday, she goes out to a well and she's drawing water. And Jesus is sitting on the well. And he says to you, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for water. And I would have given you living water that would never run dry. There was another lady with an issue of blood. For 12 years, she'd been bleeding. It says, the Bible says she'd spent all her money on doctors. And she'd only got worse. And she saw Jesus, even though she was bleeding, which meant she was unclean. She wasn't allowed to be around other people. She, the Bible says she pushed her way through the crowd. There were people pressing around Jesus. And she burrowed her way through, a bit like an eighth man in a rugby scrum. She found her way through, and she just touched the edge of Jesus' cloak. And Jesus stopped everything. He said, who touched me? And the disciples said, what do you mean who touched you? Look at all these people touching you. He says, no, no, somebody really touched me. The place for her was a place where she pressed through and she found Jesus. And she got more than just a physical healing. She got a relationship with Jesus. He stopped and made sure he could look her in the eye and tell her her sins were forgiven. There was a, a relationship built up there. There's a different mask from the mask we've seen of Jesus, I think. There's something special about this man. And I've just got one more story. Uh, John 8 verse 3, it says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. And when they'd set her in the midst... Can you just let me stop there. Imagine that. <laughs> Not only are you ashamed... But you've been caught and you've been brought by the top authorities doing something you're embarrassed about and set in the midst of a whole lot of people and Jesus is brought and you're right there with Jesus. How embarrassed. For her, this, the place of her meeting Jesus was a place of embarrassment. Utter shame. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such a woman should be stoned to death. What do you say? And this they said, testing him that they may have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. <laughs> I love this. I can just picture it. Shame pouring out of this woman. The Pharisees just so accusing and wanting to either get revenge on her or capture Jesus in something he's going to say. And Jesus is completely unfazed. He just bends down and he starts writing something with his finger in the, in the dust. I don't know what he was writing. There's a place in the Old Testament where it says God's finger wrote the Ten Commandments. Maybe Jesus was writing the Ten Commandments. I, I don't know. Or maybe there's a Psalm 139 says, All the days written for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Maybe he was writing out some of the things that God wanted for this woman's life. Or in Revelation, it talks about the books that are brought out where God has written down everything that I've ever done in my life. Maybe Jesus was writing down some of this lady's history or some of the Pharisees' history. I don't know. Or maybe it's the book of life. There's another book in Revelation 21 where it talks about a book of life is brought out where people's names are written and it means they're completely forgiven. Maybe he was writing her name down. I don't, I don't know. But it says he, he knelt down 
He wrote as if he didn't hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. I love that. You know, sometimes young people, we, we're arrogant. I say we because I consider myself an incredibly young 46-year-old. We've got an arrogance about us. Nothing can get in my way. Hey, I'm perfect. But actually, if we're honest, oh, I'm not perfect. And the oldest realized that first. And one by one, they started leaving. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman was standing there. Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. He said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I wonder if we could bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for who you are and who you were. And thank you that you're alive today, Lord. Thank you that even though you died, you rose again and you're alive with us here today. Thank you that you're the same Lord that you ever were. Full of love, grace, truth, power, compassion. Thank you, God. Lord God, I pray for every single one of us in this room. If we're honest, Lord, we're just like those Pharisees. We have all sorts of things in our lives that aren't right. And Lord, we come to you today and we say, here we are. Please, would you wash us clean, forgive us, and help us to follow you and live with you from today onwards. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.